0: Hello, my name is Connor Mary. I'm part of the Nashville Software School Data Science Cohort 5, and I chose to do my capstone uh, on a text analysis of the Voynich Manuscript.
1: Very cool. I'm excited to hear more about this manuscript and not only what this project's all about, but how you built it. And to kick things off, though, I would love to hear what did you do to get connected to NSS? How did you decide to make a change in your career?
0: Yeah, so I had been working, and and still am, uh, as an actuary for an insurance company. And if you don't know what that is, it involves a lot of math and looking at uh, statistics and tables, uh, historical data, and then uh, working on calculations to essentially predict, uh, oh, this is how much you should be paying in premiums. And while I did enjoy some of it, uh, a lot of times it can get a little dry, and there's not a lot of creativity involved in it. A lot of the times it is very cut and dry, this is the way it's been, we'll continue to do it this way. And so I was looking for a change, something where instead of just looking at historical things with math, uh, looking at something where you can do modeling or predictive uh, analysis. And so when I started looking around, uh, I heard a lot of really good things from people in uh, the tech field about Nashville Software School. And then around this time, I was also starting to use programming for my work to make things easier. And I really enjoyed the ability to have my work scale where instead of just having to work uh, a problem once, being able to work a problem once get the right answer, but then, you know, writing a program to then repeat that for any time I ran into that problem again. Excellent. Okay.
1: And you get a little taste of the ability to create something, see that scale. And then was there a particular moment when you decided, hey, I kind of want to make this commitment but this is nine months for this particular cohort was there a moment where you just said I'm I am in I'm gonna do this
0: yeah I think it was whenever I went to one of those uh, meetings where you could go hear a little bit about it hear uh, people that have been through the program speak about it before and just hearing what you know the class was about things you would undertake I was like oh that all sounds very interesting it had been a long time uh, you know in my work where at I really had that feeling of, oh, wow, yeah, this sounds so exciting, <laughs> all this chance to learn this new stuff. Uh, and so it kind of, you know, hearing that reinvigorating that drive to be like, oh, I can learn this new skill here. Uh, I think that was the moment. Okay. And here you are.
1: You made it to the end. Nine months later. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Let's talk about this project. I want to learn more about this manuscript of what that is, and then tell me a little about what you built and, and the analysis you have and what the findings were, and then, of course, how you built this.
0: Yeah, so uh, in 1912, there is a Polish book dealer named Wilfred Voynich. He's traveling around Europe looking for old documents, and he comes across this uh, old Italian monastery, and he finds this collection of different books, and he ends up purchasing them. And among them are even some other fascinating documents, including one from Francis Bacon, but there's one that really sticks out uh, that had... Uh, Some very peculiar drawings of plants that didn't look like any plants he recognized, um, some weird uh, star charts in them, and then also uh, throughout the entire thing, a language that he did not recognize. Uh, So then he eventually brings this book back to England, uh, begins showing people it, and the the more people look at it, the more people try to decipher it or recognize what language it is, but even up until today, it's still not been translated, and uh, includes even having some uh, somewhat famous people attempt to break it, including some or two code breakers uh, took a look at it, uh, attempted to break it, but still have not had any success. It's like some kind of alien language or something? <laughs> right. It, it is rather a rather odd thing, and, and even along with that, uh, some of the pictures of the plants in it, most of them have not been identified either, so it is a really bizarre document that kind of stands out, especially among the other ones uh, he purchased there, which all ended up being fairly normal. Okay, okay.
1: So what did you decide to do here? How were you analyzing this? Because it sounds like there's been a lot of people attempting to figure this out. What did you do?
0: Right, so I wanted to take kind of a step back and look, uh, not at specifically deciphering the text, but uh, putting some mathematical constraints and saying, okay, can we determine is this even a real language? You know, could someone have just scribbled down words or scribbled out symbols and made the whole thing up? And, and just to put a little context on, on the size of the book, it's it's roughly 240 pages. Uh, so I say roughly. Some of the pages fold out to be even larger. And then there is a little bit of evidence that maybe they're missing some pages. Uh, so it is a fairly lengthy document as well, not just, uh, you know, a page or two. Okay. Okay.
1: Any other tools that you try to utilize here?
0: Yeah. So... I primarily used Python as the coding language, and so I went out to a website called Project Gutenberg, uh, which, if you've never heard of it, it's it's really cool. Uh, It's essentially a collection of books that are now in the public domain you can download for free. So I went out and downloaded a slew of books from different languages, uh, English and French, Latin, uh, including some old English, and I began to analyze uh, some of their properties. There's something called Zip's Law, which looks at the word distribution across languages. Uh, And it's another kind of peculiar thing that pops up is that whenever you look at uh, any type of written language, if you start to count up the number of words and their occurrences, they follow a fairly regular pattern. And that if you were to count up all the words, um, one of the famous examples in Wikipedia, uh, the English language, and then you were to rank them. So whatever word showed up the most uh, often, which is the word the, and then you took half those occurrences. So say it showed up 100,000 times, Uh, the second most common word would show up roughly 50,000 times. And then if you uh, took the most common word, the again, multiplied it now by one-third, you would expect uh, the third most common word to show up one-third as often. And so that holds fairly regularly. So I I took uh, these English books from Project Gutenberg uh, just to make sure, you know, is this Zips law uh, a real thing? And sure enough, I I found a really consistent pattern where uh, words roughly follow the rule of uh, one over R times the most common word. And so then I applied that to some other languages, found that it held, and then, of course, eventually applying that to the Voynich manuscript. And I will say it's, it's closer to a Latin language, its distribution, because they don't all fit absolutely one-to-one perfectly, but uh, just the preliminary analysis did, did show that, yes, this document does follow Zips' law, and it follows it fairly closely.
1: Where did your love and interest around language come from?
0: Yeah, so for me, this was a very different project, especially coming from the math world. But it was a real uh, kind of combination of I love history, I love cryptology, uh, and then also uh, loving data science now. Uh, And so to me, like normally, I was a horrible English student in high school. Uh, And so to me, this was like a chance to do something different, but also combine it with... uh, several different, uh, things that I love to work with. And so, uh, even over the course of this, languages inter- uh, language is, is, much more interesting to me now. It, it follows mathematics much more than I would have ever thought.
1: Super cool. I love it. And I feel like that love for language, like what you've been sharing has got to translate really well to these new skills you've been picking up. Don't you think?
0: Yeah. Uh, I know uh, within the class we did a, a project about, uh, applying uh, some of these natural language processes to uh, looking at SEC reports uh, and trying to determine how many stock or share buybacks a company has done. And, and coming from the finance world, I, you know, I thought, oh, wow, this is also really interesting of something I'm really familiar with, but also now applying something new to it. Good stuff.
1: I understand there's a bit more that you were working on with this. So walk me through that. How does that work? What's that all about?
0: Yeah, so the the next piece of this I wanted to look at is Uh, within natural languages, uh, we've got topics. You know, if I were to hand you a book and you were to read it, you could tell me what the topics were about that book. So there's a specific method called the latent derelict allocation, which I'll just abbreviate to LDA. Uh, And how that works is if you were to have a collection of books and you wanted to do some type of topic modeling across it, you would look at how often words appear in those documents and then imagine almost assigning each individual word its own topic. Of course, you're going to have an insane number of topics after that. So then what you can do is you can look at different books. If they both have those words appear, you can connect them with a string. Uh, You can do that for all the books. And, of course, you're still going to have a lot of topics. So now imagine if a book has uh, the same word appear in it as another book. You can now combine those words together and kind of almost compress that data down into a, quote, like a hidden layer. And so now from there you can... Assign probabilities to each of those books of, oh, this book is 50% this topic, 10% this topic, and maybe 20% this topic. And so I went through uh, those English books and applied this machine learning technique and found topics for them. But since uh, if you think of natural languages, uh, you know, almost like a a movie where if you're telling a story, you could probably put it in order if you were to mix up the scenes. You could say, oh, uh, these are out of order, let me reverse this. Uh, So in the same way, this machine learning technique uh, uses a method called bag of words, which doesn't care about the order. So what I did is took these English books, applied the method, found the topics, and then I shuffled their pages. Now I looked at uh, how different each page was to the next page and found the difference between those two pages. The higher the difference, that means they're more different. Uh, And then I went back and I looked at whenever they were in their original order, how different did pages change? Uh, And I found that within the English books, there was hardly any change between the pages. And that seems pretty logical of, oh, yeah, the topic's going to be mostly similar from one page to the next page. Uh, And then whenever you shuffle those, yeah, now there's a really big shift in topics from page to page. Uh, And so whenever I did that, I ran that simulation about a thousand times and then found, yeah, uh, keeping it in order is clearly obvious. It scores much better. And then I went through and applied that to the voyage manuscript to say, okay, Uh, If I jumble up these pages after I do this LDA fit, how much uh, does each page differ from the next page topic-wise? And it actually performed extremely well. Uh, I thought it might give us some results, but I was fairly impressed that uh, you can see very clearly in the graphs that, yeah, the Voynich manuscript does appear to have topics or at least follow a natural language uh, in regards to having topics within the manuscript.
1: So fascinating. I love hearing all the, the specifics around this and I'm doing my best to keep up with you. But what I'm understanding is it's really, you know, it's all around that love and that passion you have on um, language. So, hey, congratulations again. i making it to the end. We're all excited about what's next for you. And if you had to sum up in just one or two thoughts of what kind of experience, what kind of job are you looking for? How would you describe that?
0: Yeah, uh, I would be looking for something that's got a lot of opportunities, uh, but also uh, provides challenges along with that.
1: Fantastic. All right. We're all pulling for you. We can't wait to see how the future unfolds. Yes, thank you.